Father God, we gather today around your scriptures, Lord, and around your scriptures specifically that focus on the coming of Jesus. God, for some in this room, we've heard this message year after year after year after year, and it can become um, sometimes a little ho-hum, or it can become a little remote, and, and we hear it, and sometimes, Lord, we just hear it and go, okay, I'm just going through the motions. Lord, I pray against that today. I pray, Lord, for those in this room who have heard this message many times, I pray we hear it fresh, I pray we hear it new, I pray, Lord, that, that you grab our hearts and our minds through your word in a new way this year. Lord, for some in this room, the message of Christmas is a fairly new message. Maybe know about the Jesus that he was born, but don't understand all that it entails and all that comes with it. For, for a lot of, Lord, we get distracted with the Christmas season of gifts and the tinsel and the lights and all the stuff that come with the holiday that we have turned into American culture. But Lord, there's such a deep message in the scriptures for us. And I pray, Lord, that we would hear it today. Whether we've heard this message many times or whether this is a fairly new message, Lord, I pray we hear clearly from you through the preaching of your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to ask you just to listen to the word of God this morning. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She'll give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child, will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Stop and think with me for just a few minutes about that account, about that story in Scripture. You stop and think about it for a moment, and I would say that this account that we celebrate every single year, this truth of Scripture, is quite crazy. You start thinking about the details of what took place, and to this world, this is one crazy story. This is one crazy event that you and I celebrate. It's crazy when you start thinking about all the parts of the birth of Jesus. And I want us to consider the birth of Jesus this Christmas season through the eyes of Joseph, and through the eyes of Mary, and through the eyes of wise men, and really try to step back and go, in this crazy message, the message of Jesus, this, this Christmas season, what does God want to say to me through the eyes of these people who were there? Today I want to begin with Joseph and consider maybe what he went through. When you start to wrestle with quite possibly some of the thoughts of Joseph, you really can start to see how it's crazy to go through what he's been through. I think it's crazy when you look at 
Joseph and you look in Scripture and try to find out who is he. There's not a lot in Scripture that really explains to us who Joseph is. The Bible doesn't tell us about him. I mean, we know he's a descendant of King David. We know that his father was Jacob. We know he had dreams and the angel appeared to him in one of those dreams. We know that when Jesus was conceived, Mary was engaged to Joseph. We are told that he was a righteous man, that he was an observer of the law of Moses. We can surmise that he was a kind man, probably because of the way that he treated Mary and her reputation and, and trying to protect her reputation in the situation. We know that Joseph spent time living in Bethlehem and in Egypt and Nazareth. We know he was a carpenter. We presume that he probably taught Jesus that trade since Jesus is a carpenter. We know that he provided for the religious instruction of his family and fully participated in rituals of the pilgrimages of the Jewish faith. But that's about it that Scripture speaks of. It doesn't give us a whole lot. So I stop and look at the life of Jesus and I say, man, there's not much written. So why preach about Joseph today? Why even focus in on him? He's really kind of a side character in the story. Joseph isn't flashy. There's nothing great about that. He isn't the central part of the narrative. He doesn't proclaim anything. He's an ordinary guy who's just doing his best to live an honorable, God-fearing life, faithful to his God, faithful to his family, and respected by his peers. But that's why. That's why I wanted us today to focus in on Joseph during this Christmas season and preach about him because metaphorically speaking, most of us are more likely to find ourselves quietly leading a donkey over an uncertain path, wondering what the future might hold, more than standing on the ridge shouting and preaching at sinners to change their lives. Most of us spend our lives as minor characters in a gospel narrative. Most of us in this room would say, I'm not a big flashy character. Nobody really knows who my name is in terms of God's kingdom besides God. Most of us are just ordinary folks doing our best to live honorable lives, faithful to our God and faithful to our families, respected by our peers. Most of us, although we are ordinary, are here for an extraordinary purpose. And most of us find ourselves at times in a very sticky place or in a dilemma or in a crisis at some time in our life, just like Joseph, we will have an opportunity to respond like Joseph did. You stop and look at his life. Let's look at what I'm talking about. Joseph's dilemma, we find it in verse 18 of Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child of the Holy Spirit. Joseph probably thought that his life was well planned. His marriage, his vocation, they were arranged neatly for him. They knew exactly, he knew exactly what was headed, but then his world comes crashing down. He discovers that his bride-to-be is pregnant. And he knows he's not the father. He was in a hard place to understand that and how to deal with it. And why had God allowed this to happen? Wait, God, I am engaged to be married to, uh, to, be married to Mary, and now she's pregnant. I'm sure Mary told Joseph that what had taken promise and promised her virginity. Listen, I, I was innocent. I did not lie with any other man, and now I'm pregnant. And I'm sure Joseph's going, yeah, right. Really? Tell me another one. But whoever heard such a thing? And what will you do? See, Joseph had three options in that situation. Marry her quickly 
He could say, let's go off and get married real quickly, even though the baby wasn't his, to protect her character. Publicly, he could divorce Mary as an adulteress, in which case she would be stoned to death. Now, in our culture, we say divorce. Wait a minute, they're not married. Why would they have to go through a divorce? Because in their culture, in a Jewish custom, during that time, what was recognized in that engagement period was called a betrothal that fell somewhere between what we know as engagement and marriage. In other words, there was already a covenant that they've entered into. It was in a binding agreement and the only way that they could be broken was by divorce even though they weren't officially married yet but it was that strong that we're committed to one another so in Jewish culture if you're going to end it even at that stage it was called a divorce and if a betrothed woman had become pregnant she was regarded as an adulteress and so the penalty would have been to be stoned to death and so another option was have the marriage contract set aside quietly while Mary goes off somewhere else and has a baby real quietly. He could have chosen one of those. It was Robert Burns who wished for humanity the power to see ourselves as others see us. What insights would come to us? Do you ever wonder if someone was standing at your funeral, what would they be saying about you? What words would they share about you? What would they see going on in your situation? Joseph could only see his dilemma with his own eyes. But what if he could see through God's eyes? And whatever you're walking through right now in life, you see it through your eyes. You see it through your perspective, but you can't possibly see it how other people are seeing you walk through it. See, God knew the whole plan. But what if we could see our lives as God does? If we could see as God sees, we would know that most of our fears never maternalize. Most things most of us spend the bulk of our time worrying about are never going to happen. We waste energy and we weaken ourselves for today's task because foresight and precaution are one thing, but worry is something else. And the Bible says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, but we get stuck sometimes in worry. If we could see as God sees... We would realize that no problem that does arise is without resolution. And our gloomier moments of illness, and our financial stress, and our personal problems, and our times of temptation, we muse over questions that really seem to have no answers. And the Bible says God is faithful. He'll not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he'll also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. If we could see as God sees... We would understand that no problem comes without an attached blessing. See, someone once said, the good end of painful beginning can seldom be known in advance. The good end of a painful beginning can seldom be known in advance. See, in our anxiety, we tend to doubt that anything good can come from the heartache. But the Bible says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. If we could see as God sees, we would know that pain always signals the possibility of for growth. Even though we desire for a world that is, that is free of difficulties, we know deep inside that such a world would create cold and unfeeling people. The Bible says no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, through God's eyes, today may look very different from what you think you see. 
Robert or Rubel Shelley wrote, God's peace is greater than your pain. And his promise is greater than your loss. So trust the one with clearer vision. Joseph could only see in the crazy moment what was taking place at that distinct time. Joseph, he had a dilemma. What's the dilemma you're walking in maybe right in this moment? Maybe a dishonest situation with a spouse? Maybe a challenging co-worker you're dealing with? Maybe it's guiding your children? Maybe it's financial challenges? Maybe it's some kind of sickness or depression you're dealing with? Don't look at your dilemma through your eyes. It's time to change goggles and have a God-sized vision. It's time to say, God, I see it my way, but I want to trust in your ways. Joseph's dilemma brought the Savior to the world. Stop and think about that for a moment. Joseph's hardship, Joseph's difficulty, the dilemma he was walking in brought the Savior to the world. There's no way he saw that. It took a man of character. Verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. See, while the law in Deuteronomy 22 prescribed stoning, Joseph reacted with mercy, reaching past the circumstances, not allowing the circumstances to govern. He's like, I know that I could have her stoned, but his mercy was totally contrary to the natural human response. The natural human response would be like, yeah, you're lying to me. I don't care what you say about some Holy Spirit getting you impregnated. You've been with some other man, and I'm going to take you out to the center of the, of the, of the, of the community and tell what has happened and allow you to receive your just punishment. He could have made that choice. Before there was any divine explanation, though, Joseph chose mercy. He did not act out of malice. He did not act out of anger. He could have demanded resentful condemnation, but instead he chose love. Joseph chose the same route that later Jesus would choose for you and, my, for you and me. Chose the exact same route. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, but the gift is of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, our penalty, what we deserve, justice would be death, but he gave us mercy by giving us Jesus to die on a cross. The prophet Micah said it this way, where is another God like you who pardons the sins of the survivors among his people? You cannot stay angry with your people forever because you delight in showing mercy. And so Joseph chose the route of mercy. Joseph chose the high road. Even though maybe he felt like he was wrong, he stayed committed and he saw it through. And he saw it through in the middle of a crisis of faith. Look at verse 20. But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take you marry your wife for that which is conceived in her is the Holy Spirit, and she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Faith is being challenged right now. Faith is being challenged, and faith, when it's challenged, we're called upon to do some things that are unreasonable or unexplainable or even crazy, and Joseph's faith is being challenged. Would he believe Mary? Would he believe the angel of the Lord that showed up to him in a dream? Or was he going, no, that wasn't God. There's no way that was God telling me that. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, 
the evidence of things not seen. Augustine said, what is faith unless it is to believe what you cannot see? No way for Joseph to see that take place. No way for Joseph to understand that it was the Holy Spirit who impregnated Mary unless it's by faith. C.H. Spurgeon claimed that 98% of the people he met, including the criminals that he visited in England's prison, told him that they believed the Bible to be true, but the vast majority had never made a personal life-changing commitment to Jesus Christ. For them, believe was not an active verb. See, I have faith. I believe in Jesus. That's an active verb. Faith is doing the right thing regardless of the consequences. Knowing God will turn the ultimate effect to good. That's what faith is. And Joseph walked in faith in his crisis. Joseph chose to do the right thing even though all outward appearances told him to do differently. See, when called on to step by faith and walk by faith, what do we choose? What do you choose? Even when you can't see the end results because you don't see with God's eyes, you're only seeing with your eyes, are you willing to walk by faith? That's what we see in Joseph was a man who walked by faith. We see him also being obedient. Look at verse 24. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. A.W. Tozer wrote, The Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. Faith and obedience. James 2 says, Even so, faith, if it has not works, is dead. Being alone, a man may say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Joseph was a man of faith, and he also lived it out by obedience. In his obedience, Joseph denied self to honor the plan of God. See, in his eyes, this makes no sense. In his eyes, wait, in a dream I'm told by the Holy Spirit? No way, that's not right. In his eyes, Mary says, I'm pregnant? No, you had a lie with some guy. It made no sense. It was absolutely crazy. God brought about a pregnancy. God brought about a birth without people being involved, without marriage and without sex. The Holy Spirit came upon Mary and the power of the Most High overshadowed her, is what it says in the book of Luke. The Word became flesh, born out of a virgin, Mary, but not through the active participation of the virgin. Mary and her husband did not participate in a relationship. Joseph did not know her until after the firstborn son. And so there is... No room for any reason to claim that Jesus' origin was from earth. It was only from heaven. God led things in such a way that the drive of attraction between Joseph and Mary was not satisfied until his divine purpose for Mary's room had ran its course and the Word had become flesh and the Son of God was born in Bethlehem. That is crazy. Absolutely crazy. When you look at it from human eyes and from a human perspective, I would encourage you, church, to trust God. He has your best interests in mind and be willing to do what He asks of you. We look at Joseph and we'll look at Mary and we'll look at the wise men and there's other characters within the story and you can look at that and say, well, that's just the Christmas story. You can dig in a little bit deeper. 
That's what we're going to do. We're going to dig in a little bit deeper and really ask those questions. And today's question would be, are you willing to do what seems crazy even when you don't understand the why? Are you willing to do it? See, obedience starts with having a heart that says, yes, God. Some of us in here, we have personalities where we like to dot the I and cross the T. Some of us in here, we operate with a plan. We have to have it all lined out and all figured out and have to have all the money in line and all the budgets in line before we move. And God says, will you just be obedient to my call in your life? What is the call that God has for you this Christmas season? Psalm 37, 5 says, commit thy way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. Maybe the call is, get real with God this Christmas season. Maybe the call is, answer the nudge that the Spirit's been nudging on your life in some area of your life, whatever that may be, but you need to answer that call and quit putting away. Maybe, quite possibly, the call upon your life is this Christmas season, accept Jesus as Savior. And be obedient of putting your faith in Him and repenting of your sins, confessing Him before others, and following in the waters of baptism. Maybe that's the call you need to answer today. See, the dilemma was real for Joseph. And your dilemma of life may be real and very active right now. The character of Joseph was very uh, God-focused and God-centered. What about your character? Is your character God-centered and God-focused? The crisis in his faith. He could have turned and ran the other way, but instead he decided to trust and decided to be obedient. What kind of crisis of faith are you in or maybe you will enter in as we turn the corner to 2018? Will you walk in obedience of faith with Jesus.